a decentralized there is if, if you think about a decentralized organization it, there is no decentralized organization if you want to like if it's what something is decentralized it fully then it's complete chaos um first of all it's always a spectrum and uh, the idea behind uh the organizational model is that it's um it's malleable so you can influence what you want to centralize and what you want to decentralize um autonomous well any organization is autonomous <laughs> because any organization is like you know floating around making decisions together um so the point here uh, how do you call it, dissected correctly, is that the uh, organization is made up of autonomous parts and that any part can be excluded at any point in time. Welcome everybody to the Clay Podcast, where this is your safe space for all things DAOs related. This is a space where when you look at the DAO world outside, it's kind of hard to keep up on your own. here with our uh, bunch of contributors and guests who've done a phenomenal job kind of traversing the frontier of what we consider to be uh, dao ops uh, you now get your alpha and your operational insights i'm your co-host abhishek ajit and along with me is my co-host abhishek sonavne hi abhishek how are you doing hey man all good how are you all right doing fantastic man just looking forward to this episode and with me is uh, a the founder of a team that i really look up to a couple of months back i had just been listening to um, something regarding organizational design while i was kind of making an article about the contributor economy and the insights that uh, this team had was uh, really an eye opener and it was a pleasant surprise when uh, my co-host abhishek sanavne uh, got the, got all of us together to make this podcast happen we now have uh, andre brolin who is the founder of deepwork studios uh, which is a decentralized design studio and they also have some radical ideas for organizational design that we are here to explore today hi andre how are you doing hello uh, thank you so much for the kind words and thank you so much for the intro yeah i'm great oh absolutely it's it's a pleasure having you here and uh, very eager to kind of uh, explore the sort of ideas that uh, you kind of here to talk about before we get to that let's start things off on a light note uh, how did you kind of get acquainted with this space and uh, what was your background and your inspiration for launching uh, deepwork studios good question yeah i have um worked before starting deepwork as a designer and um user researcher prototyper i guess kind of a I I tried to back then find a good job description I think creative technologist was probably the the most suitable one um I I worked at an agency called Agen Smart here in Berlin and um the and a, a lot of that was kind of based on self-learning so we were uh, started off as a web design agency but then uh, over time transitioned into helping teams and companies here in the city build out their businesses and build out their um their products um by creating um like very user focused uh experiences digital experiences user testing them and um also doing that very collaboratively so we got inspired a lot by google ventures or now uh, called gvs um frameworks uh, in particular jake knapp's uh, sprint and a lot of the things that he has been writing about were very about like a lot of it was about getting people in a room together to um ideate and come up with really good product ideas very quickly and also prototype them so we applied a lot of the principles that he was writing about and um back then it was everything in an office and um i also liked traveling and um i uh, thought that it would be cool if we could you know like somehow figure out a way to um transfer this powerful process and this kind of amazing experience to sit together in one room and come up with really wild ideas and prototype them and play with them and make them financially sustainable if we could also turn that into a um you know a remote experience and then i found that the web3 space which has been that was like 2016 17 which has been slowly glowing up um was uh, focused a lot around the technology and um there was a lot of um money streamed into web3 um 
although money wasn't really my, my biggest concern or focus, um, it was more that I saw the need of these technical teams that they can write code together. There are enough tools and there's GitHub to write code together, but there are no tools and no principles to actually design together. And um, yeah, so all of these things, along with like then another year that I spent uh, just not working at an agency, but focusing on my personal health, um, all of these things uh, gave conception to uh, what is now DeepWork Studio. And along with meeting my uh, co-founder, uh, Charlie, of course, who helped a lot with setting up the financial infrastructure, making sure it's everything we do is legal and um, yeah, doing payroll properly and all of these things. Fantastic. For once, you know, I'm happy to hear a positive story about how focusing on one's health and doing things in a sustainable way kind of led to something really solid out there. People kind of burn out and uh, they kind of take a long time to do that. But here you uh, kind of explored your passions, you focused on your health and you decided to focus on something that you cared about passionately uh, to build this sort of uh, a pretty innovative team that's kind of working on the frontier of pretty, uh, something pretty exciting. Now that you've uh, gotten to the part of how you found your co-founder and built DeepWork Studios, for people who may not know what DeepWork Studio is all about, uh, could you uh, just uh, get into the heart of um, what DeepWork Studio is all about and the sort of work you're passionate about and have achieved? Yeah, of course. Um, so DeepWork Studio is basically a product design studio product and um, like now also brand and visual identity design studio. Um, and yeah, it came essentially from us, uh, from working in a creative studio and designing products uh, like apps or digital products on, on the screen. Although we also design like physical stuff and VR apps and everything. And I, I, I didn't get to that yet in the Web3 space, but um, for the most part, DeepWork Studio is designing uh, products for the Web3 ecosystem. So whether it's for DeFi or for reputation-based stuff, or if it's um, something like, uh, yeah, even project management tools. Um, but uh, yeah, I would say that most of the projects are actually focused on, on DeFi just because that's where the um, most of the innovation currently lies, although we're slowly transitioning into uh, a lot of other areas. Um, also like this development and in general, like building up infrastructure, a lot of tools that help build out social infrastructure. Um, so yeah, so, so that's kind of it. Um, yeah, I think also kind of mention worthy is that to the outside, it looks like a design studio, but uh, on the inside, it's actually a collective of freelancers. So um, intentionally designed in a way that there are no long-term contracts, so we wanted people to just do whatever they want to do and then find ways of combining their interests in, uh, in, in doing things together. So most like everything's project based. And if we have a client project, we have a very specific criteria and specific workflows on how we approach it. And then we have a network of individuals who have proven to each other that they can take on a very specific role in that kind of a project. And they aggregate around these projects, solve them, get paid, and then they disperse and do other things as well. Um, and, uh, and and everything in the organization is like that. So um, even in, there's also internal projects. So things that are, you know, operations or finance or even social media awareness is very project-based. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, it's intriguing that you kind of operate out of this, uh, this sort of a structure. You kind of mentioned that uh, you're... Uh, kind of an ONC, you, you're kind of a collective of things. Even in the sort of documentation, you kind of call yourself to be an, an ONC, when everybody, even people, even these uh, so-called uh, crypto protocols call themselves DAOs when they are not. You know, it's so fancy to kind of get that DAO label out there. You don't want to kind of associate yourself with the DAO thing. You want to call yourself an ONC. You want that sort of decentralized label on that. So for people who are not aware with what an ONC is, could you kind of uh, get into what an ONC is and why you prefer to be called by an ONC and how is it different from the whole DAO structure? Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, uh, eventually I, I will not um, be able to influence how people will call things. I think I, I don't know wh where which direction it will go. Um, 
I might not be able to influence how people will call deep work. A lot of people call it a DAO. Uh, and again, like I'm not going to uh, influence them, but, um, and, and it's, and it's fine. Um, I, I just like thinking about terms and words that I use myself and, um, calling something a decentralized autonomous organization sounds more like this is a quote from one of my mentors. Uh, calls it's it, it sounds more like a combination. It's it's a buzzword that's a combination made of other buzzwords, because um, <laughs> a, a decentralized there is if if you think about a decentralized organization, it, there is no decentralized organization. If you want decentralized, like if you what something is decentralized it, fully, then it's complete chaos. Um, first of all, it's always a spectrum, and uh, the idea behind uh, the organizational model is that it's um, it's malleable, so you can influence what you want to centralize and what you want to decentralize. Um, autonomous, well, any organization is autonomous <laughs> because any organization is like you know floating around making decisions together. Um, so the point here um, is about that, well, or like to to kind of. Um, like uh, how do you call it dissected correctly is that the uh, organization is made up of autonomous parts and that any part can be excluded at any point in time um, and obviously organization also kind of pre presupposes that something is is being organized around something else or that there is some kind of value structure um, and we don't see that in the DeFi space there is no um, no production of value that's apparent in the focus. There's no organization. There's a Discord channel and uh, like, um, you know, a snapshot. And uh, what else do we have? A token. And also um, safe. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. And a multi-sig, right. Um, but uh, that these are tools. These are means to the end. Um, so so I, I I thought about how I would call DeepWork. And I think that DeepWork more uh, is... You could describe it as an online, like an ONC, uh, an online native um, cooperative, because um, it's online native. It's we all, you know, grew up um, with the uh, internet and we know how to use it, and we have learned our way into being part of it. Um, and um, the cooperative kind of, well, it's we are working together. We actually cooperating. In, in specific parts and then what parts are decentralized, what are centralized, that's already a matter of detail. By the way, um, DAOs or like the terminology of DAO that's been around for about 50 years. So um, there's, a, there's a great um, researcher called Stafford Baer. Uh, he um, wrote about a model called viable system model. Um, I really recommend Googling that and reading articles from Block Science uh, written by uh, Kelsey Nabin, but also other folks from Block Science. Uh, really great work and it's a very very um that's probably the best lens you can get on how an organization can be flexible but also you know like fractalizable and and very resilient um we'll be so happy to share that with us in the description yeah i'll, yeah. I'll yeah i think 90 percent of the people in the dao space would not know that the term has been in existence for the last 50 years <laughs> yeah. yeah that's news yeah. to me also actually yeah <laughs> But uh, okay. that kind of begs the question, you know, um, now that we are kind of coming back to this whole cycle of uh, how DAO should be viewed, uh, why why did you kind of take this approach of sticking to this model? What has this sort of model given you that uh, probably taking the approach of a startup or going the whole, the DAO with the gnosis safe and uh, things like that? These are two extreme spectrums. And you've kind of consciously chosen to take, uh, what to say, uh, like a pragmatic way of uh, dealing with your team. What has that uh, kind of given you um, in terms of execution and in terms of uh, discovering ideas? Yeah, a good question. I think um, <clears throat> I would always think about concepts and new things and cool things as 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 a noticeable part of an evolution that always re resides in solving particular problems. So the the way that DeepWork is designed is basically as a, a consequence of looking for uh, ways to fix a lot of different problems with tools that we have available. And one of the things that we started was with health. So it's it's very health first. So we looked at, for example, how do you design a working day that allows you to live your life. <laughs> so a working day would not be longer, especially for 
for highly cognitively demanding work would not be longer than four hours, three to four hours. That's the max you can do. So we had to find a way to validate that that is possible. And with the design sprints and with the sprint process, especially remotely, we were able to schedule invites uh, throughout the day, but also throughout the week so that they're still shorter than uh, what any other agency would offer, higher value than any other agency would offer because we had the skills. Uh, and also the days were, were shorter. So, so that's kind of one of the first criteria. And then an another thing that I would say that I notice like nowadays a lot more as kind of diverging for, uh, different types of organizations is the way you communicate. Um, everything is also truth first. If something feels like you would have to say something that's not quite, or let's say truth second, or I don't know, both of them are important. Um, but but truth is extremely important, and um, not only because you don't want to you know lie to people and set wrong expectations, but um, you by by talking by by speaking out the truth about what you think is right, uh, you also learn to be a lot more in touch with reality, with what's really happening. You you learn really quickly when what you say actually resonates or or it doesn't, and um, that is that has a huge impact on how you will want to design anything. So um, for deep work, we were like basically starting off as, a, as an agency, as, as like a duo of two freelancers, and then we needed to scale. And um, I mean, obviously the truth part is, is very granular, it's all over the place, but uh, I'm, I'm more kind of um, describing the, the problems that we had to solve throughout this uh, scaling process. So like, uh, we had to hire someone, for example, um, and then we realized, well, we are in DeFi, or I'm sorry, not in DeFi, but we are in like crypto and everything's in ups and downs. We have no influence about the market. So if we hire someone on a payroll, two freelancers can't afford paying someone else to just stick around, get paid whether it does work or not. So we had to keep the model of everybody having to be a freelancer and only coming on projects when, when they can. Um, then so we started with that um, then we had a phase where uh, we needed to replicate so we needed to teach people uh, or actually just like hire more people because we had so much demand um, and then uh, we we trusted some people that we knew and they were like yeah of course I can do user research we put them on a project and then they could not do it or they did not um, deliver uh, a good result or they were just like you know, just just not very polite to the clients sometimes. Um, and so we realized, okay, it's it's not that that person is is bad or like doing something wrong. It's just that we haven't specified the criteria and we haven't like actually watched them do it and learn it. Um, so taking experience from also creating online courses, um, we basically made education a big part of the actual kind of systemic property of the organization so that if you want to work, you have to learn how to work and you don't just learn it by yourself, you need a mentor. So you have someone else look over your shoulder and make sure that you can do it. Uh, and then obviously we were looking into, or like I was um, interested more also in kind of the technology of Web3 and and like immutable uh, public records and, you know, like uh, self-sovereign identity and things like those and, and the use cases of that and that they have the potential to actually make that um, make that little social network also scalable because you could say, well, between the two of us, I can verify that you can follow this workflow, but um, someone else who is like, you know, in the, a friend of my friend who might also be part of the network, he doesn't know that we had that conversation. And so out of that, the idea of these credentials emerged where we basically like explain, like watch people over the shoulder, see if they can follow a very specific um, workflow, which is public, and um, if they can do it, then they receive an attestation and then everybody else can see, yes, they have that attestation. They can follow that workflow at deep work. Yes, I know deep work. I know the case studies of deep work. And um, then I can trust that person to work on my project too. Um, so yeah, there's these, a lot of these like um, small little problems. And I think that, yeah, also one of the things I learned is that um, ev everything about creativity is just about problem solving. You find a problem and you solve it and then you're, you're a tiny step further. No, so. I kind of find it really fascinating that uh, Abhishek, if you've noticed, na, mm -hmm. a lot of the ideas that he's implemented at DeepWorks Studios, uh, they are actually 
uh, a lot of the dull ideas that you see about reputation models about kind of having that sort of education for uh, for their own communities uh, deepak studios has already implemented it to some degree uh, from their uh, kind of bad experiences with clients you know and that's really fascinating you guys are like way ahead of the curve on that now uh, because we just did a couple of episodes with uh, marco grendel from polygon dao and ayan about how you know reputation mm-hmm. can be a key to scaling and uh, a lot of dao's are experimenting with that uh, they've not even touched the surface and you guys have already gone and implemented it and that's uh pretty cool i think abhishek at this point uh, andre i think there was a interesting pro- project that was started by deep work that was called deep skills so do you want to kind of talk yeah. about that because i've been following that for quite yeah, some sure. time now <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah cool nice yeah awesome uh yeah i'm i'm excited to talk about it i i can talk about these things for hours as well um <laughs> so um one of the um kind of uh i think unique um principles because of which uh or which which i would attribute to what you just mentioned about being ahead of the curve that we already implemented it is that uh we're just very good at researching existing tools and applying them to a degree that solves the problem at the scale that we currently have and so over the last years we basically prototyped ourselves through most of these problems in a very small scale and an observable scale but that gave us the experience of the of observing how humans actually interact in that kind of network that has never existed before and so we used uh, like notion typeform zapier um uh, and and like obviously discord to connect all these things together and create almost like you know with typeform you have a user interface with zapier you connect the input to uh, another document or discord and then you see p- people kind of follow through and, and use these things any way you want and um at some point we reached a point where we realized okay if we actually we still have a lot of demand um for design work um but there's also an incredible uh demand uh for that organizational framework because the world is changing um for basically any type of work and uh we decided to um used the 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 profits and the um well the profit margin that we had from design projects basically to reinvest into upgrading this no code infrastructure into something that is more custom built so far the tools are mostly based on web2 so we have one app that's called deep skills uh, under app.deepskills.io uh, which is essentially the the next layer of automation of the entire no code infrastructure and it covers kind of all these principles that I've been talking about so you can create an organization that organization has very specific roles you can describe what these roles consist of and then you can set up projects uh, utilizing these roles and then uh, you you have people fill these roles complete the project and if they fill these roles and if they complete the work successfully to someone to the project owner's uh, happiness or to each other's happiness then they receive an attestation on their profile and um and that's kind of the web2 version it's very easy to like look and click through it and understand it um and it works for like a, a a a larger amount of people which i would expect kind of to use it over the next months or so and expand it to a few other organizations I'm already you know playing around with other projects that i'm just setting up there uh, just for fun um and uh, and the next layer is going to be web3 and web3 uh, is in particular kind of an automation of the automation of the software because it's it, it helps scale the demand and and the um the current infrastructure to essentially global level while retaining its flexibility so a, a lot of the um the purposes of designing it that way and implementing it was uh, about being as resilient and as flexible as possible at any point in time um therefore also you know like freelancers doing what they want um and so deep skills is like uh, kind of uh, we're currently like incubating it uh, like building smaller things we have also workshops that are more for organizational design um or we facilitate them with teams uh we're actually right now uh we're um um like at this moment there's a workshop a dao incubator uh with three teams from cello that's currently running um and so we're basically like yeah helping people adopt this uh, mental framework and then we can also provide them with the software to actually keep coordinating around that Yeah, so I kind of uh, find that fascinating, you know, the sort of 
thing before we i mean i want to get into the organizational design part but i have this question about uh, deep skills in general i mean one of the, a lot of the things that dao's kind of uh, issues that they have when it comes to credentialing is that uh, you have a lot of communities that are uh, what to say they are bound by how their culture operates you know, and the sort of work that they do it's also pretty frontier tech so uh, the sort of uh, standardization that you see with uh, credentialing in web2 it's kind of uh, very different across daos uh, today so what is your recommendation for daos to kind of provide the right credentials uh, that uh, freelancers or anybody who wants to contribute can really value and it has um what to say global exposure across the ecosystem as well yeah good question i think the very first thing that people and teams should uh, focus on is um aligning on what they want to do so that's the very first thing like let's say you're you're a team and you're just like excited about some idea but you don't exactly know what's behind it um just find like proper alignment like put things into writing what are your values what's your goal what's your like mission with what you would like to do and and what's the purpose of of you just working together and then the other thing is um to start focusing on creating value so where can you create value as as a unique combination of skills that uh, nobody else can do and and who would that be for so you would always you you'll have to kind of look into what your past experience is and maybe like do some you know write some autobiographies to figure out like what you're actually good at uh, i can recommend jordan peterson self authoring sweet no affiliation <laughs> but uh, a really great uh, tool to just get clarity over what you're doing visually and i think the same applies to the team so you write down uh, things that you were good at in the past and then you find ways to make use of them and so find ways that you can create value who can you create value for and then things will fall into place like then you can think about well how can we make that more efficient like or let's say how can we create more value for as many people as possible and then and that should be the driver for actually using tools um i get a lot of requests from from people who uh, who reach out to me and they ask me hey i i'm doing this like i want to create this cool web3 online course uh, what what do you recommend me to do like this what i have a, i i i'm going to create a dao and then we're going to create a co token uh, and i'm like well first of all think about um why do you want to create an online course because there's so many of them i mean this, this is just an example but um to look at like why are you creating the why why do you want to do these things um and don't get excited about the technology but get excited about the problem that you're trying to solve because the problem is going to be about the the people a lot of a lot of um teams are excited about the seeing the technology or imagining that a cool future with that technology could look like but um that's very misleading because um it's it's very short short lived and of course it's nice to dream about cool technology that can automate things and um you know like make your life better but usually uh you need a lot more uh validation from your environment and from other people that you know that technology is actually useful otherwise you're not going to create anything that's going to be sustainable absolutely uh you know you just kind of look at what's going on in the ecosystem you understand the people who want to contribute and you figure out what sort of value should be catered to and uh, everything will fall into place to kind of set up either the right products or the sort of credentials that matter to people to contribute for the space in that sense it makes a lot of sense to me now coming to the topic uh, that uh, you were kind of uh, here for the organizational design part you mentioned that uh, you've done organizational design for three teams working with cello and also uh, a lot of your uh, inspiration for kind of not going for the dao route itself makes me feel that the way dao's kind of operate right now is not ideal um, from a decentralized standpoint neither is it Uh, idea from an impact or a um, or from a work culture standpoint that's the sort of feeling i get i mean the way daos are organized uh, that organizational design part yeah uh, are they doing it correctly or not if not could you get into why also very good a uh, good question and good observation i i don't think 
they focus on design or organizational design at all or like i i don't see it at least um i mean it makes sense because uh again this is a very kind of tech driven uh ecosystem still and i think most of the cool ideas actually come from people outside of the ecosystem that just realize hey there's something cool is possible let's let's make that work um so most of the DAOs are not focusing on that. And the way that I have seen people essentially understand DAOs is more as a, as a collective that makes decisions, as a small collective, not one that's very large, a small group of individuals that actually make decisions on funding uh, uh, cer certain purposes. Uh, so kind of a more modern version of VC funding. Um, and I think that they don't really... They, even they don't focus really on organizational design um, because most of the tools are not or have not been really accessible to them. So most of the organizational infrastructure or operational infrastructure that I can see still relies heavily on legacy infrastructure. So either companies, startups, and uh, you know like legal setups that um, are just very inflexible, or on um, basically no legal, no legal infrastructure at all, which is also very dangerous, um, uh, which we could see on um, on Tornado Cash. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot more of these cases where um, uh, policymakers are going to pay attention to um, like how people deal with, with crypto and who is responsible for what. I think like for, it, it's not a new problem, like e even in, um, in the times of the like dot-com bubble or um, if you look at uh, Apple, for example, a Apple um, has become so like prominent, um, also in part because of the kind of design uh, ontology. So um, they they were really good at thinking about what people actually need and and design it for that. And and you can see that also on the organizational um, infrastructure. Of course, given the given the capabilities that they had or like the infrastructure and, and the laws that they were under, um, you know, they, they weren't able to adopt a better or a different model, um, but um, at least they they reached a very global, like a basically global scale in terms of the reach of their product. Um, and I think that um, focusing in particular or on designing experiences within the organization, almost like a human network or I guess a human system design. So uh, I, I had a conversation with a friend recently and we discussed this kind of idea of a human systems design. There's human computer interaction, this, uh, sorry, human system interaction design. So there's human computer design uh, interaction uh, and then human system uh, interaction um, where you're still designing experience for people to interact with a larger system. and. Um, that has to be clear. If you don't set these constraints, then people are going to go all over the place. And um, a design principle is very, very simple. So, um, and 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 I, I spoke about this a couple of times in my presentations um, because it's it's super um, easy to understand. Um, it's not about finding the best technology or you know like figuring out like hey let's let's try this and it's, it's this is the best tool. Um, but it's about observing what people are doing already. So let's say you have a team of people, you look at what are they doing and um, what are the things that they do that you want them to do more of? Um, and then don't think about uh, incentivizing them or like giving them money to do these things because people don't like incentives. Like if, if you start a product with incentive design in mind, uh, then you're going the wrong path. Um, because you're basically manipulating people and at some point people That's will notice. That's actually one of the most controversial. Yeah, that's actually one of the most controversial statements I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, people don't like incentives. That's like the total. <laughs> I mean, when you talk, think about DAOs for that matter, you know. Yeah. Uh, everyone's so obsessed with this. Uh, you know, we have to have the right incentives yeah. for the right work. But here, you're like yeah. the total opposite of that. People don't like incentives. Yeah, exactly. And you, rather than that, you just kind of care about uh, allowing them to do what they want to do more. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So, so you can you can see that on a practical example. Like, ask yourself if you like uh, the prices in the supermarket uh, increasing. If, if that's is is that a cool thing? Do you like that? Well, probably not because, um, but but it is an incentive mechanism. It's it's central banks um, playing around with the levers that they have in order to steer the economy into the direction that they think is good. 
it's always good to think about constraints and policy. Don't get me wrong. So like, again, like if you observe what people are doing uh, and you want to let, let them do more of what they do, you also need to set constraints. You also want to give them like some constraints of what they shouldn't be doing or like build a system that, that doesn't like allow for negative behavior. Um, like, you know, find bad, bad actors and make sure that they get back on track. Um, but, uh, but you'd also don't want to, um, don't want to design incentives that will steer the entire system. So the, we will all, like if we do it right, then we will create systems that will help us together design the right constraints. But on a small scale, it's gonna be a headache if you're gonna try and control everything yourself. Because again, yeah, as you say, you will go back all the time to this question of, the incentives aren't right. We need to fix the incentives. We need to do this and like give them money here and then give them money there. Um, and then, oh, where does it come from? Okay, so we need to take it away from somewhere. So this is gonna be kind of a, a loop that will never end. And that's just gonna keep you centralized. But your goal is to decentralize yourself. So look at what people are doing already, look what they want to do and take that as a status quo. And then you find ways to uh, essentially let, yeah, give them ways to do more of that and, and less of the things that don't benefit the collective. Uh, how do you create that sort of space? Who gets to decide uh, who, what, who should do more of what they like and all of that? If you're a decentralized player, uh, who creates that sort of uh, decision-making in the first place for that? Uh, those are really interesting questions yeah. I would like an answer about. Yeah, I think, I mean, in the beginning, it's it's always you as the individual that designs it. So you'll always have a designer of the organization. You, you want to have an organization? Well, you also have to design it. Um, you think it's a good idea to, to have an organization? Then you have to think about these things yourself. And then over time, you decentralize this design task, um, which is essentially just decision-making. And what's decision-making? It's governance. It's people coming together, discussing stuff, and then making, and then agreeing on how they would like to progress. Um, and and that is, I think, something we should also focus on when we talk about uh, governance. Uh, it's, it's not that we need to give everybody one token and say like, hey, now let's vote on this thing, but it's actually conversations and this kind of soft governance that let people come together, make decisions together, and then disperse again. And then you have to figure out, well, well, slowly find out how do you decentralize yourself? How do you make sure that more people can participate in the same conversations that you would have with yourself or like that you wouldn't have with anyone, but where you are bottleneck um, and then design systems around that and then um, kind of go on and, and fractalize that. Um, again, like uh, I can refer to the viable system model as like a way to think about fractalizing these uh, these systems, um, but you will have to basically like look at what's the what's the collective, what's the group, what's the department that makes decisions on this topic, what's this topic and this topic, and then they can have their own sub departments, and then they can have their own sub teams. Um, uh, there's a concept from uh, sociocracy, uh, which is uh, basically a, a kind of a framework for organizations uh, to to work um, that I think is very helpful for. Uh, for for these kinds of organizations, I'm not going to go into detail on that, but uh, yeah, um, I think that's that's the trajectory. So you always start centralized because you have the idea, and then over time you just realize that you can you are the bottleneck. So either you're a freelancer and you're happy with your life, everything's cool, you have these multiple projects that you work on, and you progress any way you want, or at some point you gather a critical amount of skills that are extremely important that you need that only you have so you will need to have more people who you can decentralize to and then you know you make decisions together and then it, it just kind of um, spreads open i think that's how it will always continue it's a process as well it's never like you never stop i mean i uh, get that you know i mean the sort of progressive decentralization you advocate it's kind of been the reason uh, a lot of these major protocols have kind of done a lot of ways so a lot of DAOs that I've seen personally, when they start off decentralized itself, they don't have a base of culture. They don't have a base of uh, of any sort of resources uh, or, a, or a base of actually uh, a track record that they could actually build out of. That's kind of led to a lot of DAOs that I've seen kind of fail. And in that regard, uh, kind of 
uh, having the sort of space to uh, kind of work out the organizational design to uh, kind of set in place the right culture and the right soft governance will uh, actually, I mean, not 100% success, but at least closer to success than ever possible. And um, as we get down more to kind of thinking about how uh, DAOs should be designed, uh, one of the things that is a constant debate among uh, these DAOs is that uh, do we have uh, work streams or do we kind of follow the project-based approach? Uh, I think uh, this is something you've been uh, kind of strong of uh, strong in your uh, uh, thesis as well. And what are your thoughts on uh, what's kind of working best? And uh, would love to get into that. Yeah, uh, thanks. I think um, uh, in general, what we are aiming for is uh, and and by we we mean I mean like everybody who who is working uh, is something like a like an agile approach, but like not the way that it's implemented in traditional organizations, but more like if you unimagine uh, contracts and and legal responsibilities or obligations, uh, but you just have teams working together on very specific projects with a very clear start date and a very clear retrospective um, that are relatively short. Um, because that gives you the ability to be relatively flexible to either uh, make changes on how you work together or uh, on like maybe finding some new problems to solve on at the retrospective or maybe introducing new contributors to the to the you know organization or like to this kind of project workflow um, or maybe someone wants to leave so it gives you a lot of opportunities to be extremely flexible about making decisions in a, in a high frequency which you don't have if you just assume a work stream and have milestones and you have a very set team that you pay on a payroll. It's also super expensive. Like um, as mentioned before, especially when we um, when, when there is an economic uncertainty about your resources, you can't afford just hiring people with a very high rate and have them on a payroll if you're not sure that they're not going to be able to work or whether they're going to be um, able to work all the time every single day. Um, and also be happy about their work. Um, so uh, I'm, I think that the probably the best approach or way to think about it is as a process of looking at what are your work streams and then making sure that you can projectize those. Again, unimagine all the, I mean, it's, it sounds easy to unimagine things, but um, assume that only, um, only freelancers can actually join this work stream and um, and then projectize it and say, okay, this one project is two weeks or one week, and depending on how um, frequently you think you need a check-in. Um, and then you kind of look at what's the start date, what's the end date, who are the people who should be there, what should they be doing exactly, what's their workflow, how much are they compensated? Um, and you can use design thinking workshops to actually align on that content as well. Like we do that within like one or two hours, um, and, and then pretty much everybody knows exactly what to do. Um, and how much they will get paid by the end of the, the little sprint or the little uh, project. Um, and, and that way, and, and even if you still are on a workflow and if you still have payroll, like even defining these things um, are going to be extremely helpful because they give everybody the ability to decide on when and how they want to work. Um, and then you can kind of basically transition away from the, the work stream style and kind of deprecate the um the anything that that holds people legally accountable um because they will hold each other socially accountable for the things that they want to do um and and then um you have these kind of projects and you can think about think back like how do you repeat like what is what's going to be left what, what are people still going to want to do uh, what's going to be there as in terms of the survival of the organization and um, how do you put it on a recurring basis? And then you have projects like as projects as work streams. Um, if you if you uh, are concerned about the you know like the continuous basis of work, um, but there's also going to be times where no work is going to be necessary because you know just like no work is going to be there, so nobody should do it, and uh, they can focus on other things um, and find how to contribute in other organizations, get inspired, you know, go see art, go move, go to movies, go to nature. Um, 
and uh, you know, yeah, like solve other problems. Um, and then they will bring back the results. And uh, when the work starts again, they'll be a lot more active and creative about the work that they do. So um, this project, purely project-based approach um, is has really been also a huge uh, contribution to the um, fast innovation. It's like learning. So like you just shorten down your learning bouts and then you sleep in between. Uh, I mean, that's pretty fascinating, you know, just uh, we I've seen that in a couple of DAOs also that this whole project based approach rather than having this uh, complete full time uh, thing, it's kind of led to a lot of results also and the sort of benefits that you kind of advocate for contributors that way. It's pretty uh, effective uh, in, in that way. But uh, it begs the question. Um, recently, there was a post by a couple of people who had seen a Reddit post about uh, how Google's uh, engineers, what happens is that when Google launches a couple of products, uh, there is a lot of innovation. The launch goes perfectly and, uh, you know, it's all going tip top. But right after the product is launched, uh, people just kind of drift apart. Uh, there is no maintenance going on for any of these products and people just wonder why. But the Reddit post says that it's because the engineers that work on these Google products, they are incentivized to kind of work till the launch, launch the product. And once it's out, they get promoted according to how much the project is kind of launched. And then they had some uh, weird acronym, launch, and then kind of uh, forget about it. And that's the, I'm paraphrasing that. My question is, does this sort of project mentality uh bring about this sort of mercenary uh mm. kind of feeling that prioritizes mercenary and project-based thinking rather than a long-term culture uh that can sustain um, a community through in spite of not having projects or uh, things like that uh you yeah. know there are a lot of contributors that uh, you know uh, that there are a lot of projects that care about uh, having uh, a sustainable form of uh, funding and that sense of certainty allows them to drive deep. You know, that those are a kind of the key thoughts that Samantha Marin from Aragon Dow really kind of uh, advocates a lot about. What are your thoughts about that? Really, really great point. I also I also saw that uh, tweet or that post. Um, very interesting. I mean, I, I was kind of aware of that mentality at Google, but I, I didn't re really know that it was that specific, which makes total sense. They're basically being encouraged to um, to do these experiments because uh, they get promoted at any at any achievement, um, and um, and so people start just hunting the promotion as part of their resume, as part of a bigger economy where they can show off what they can do as part of earning as much money as possible, and so on. Um, so um, I think that. In part, there is um, there is a thing in within the the project based approach which also reflects that um, mentality of you can fail and you can make mistakes because with the next project you can try again and do better and um, you will also you know receive an attestation for having it completed so you should definitely be motivated to complete it and to move on with your life to do something that's more interesting where um, where we can differ. And this is also something that's been uniquely possible only in, in Web3 is the ability to distribute uh, ownership of the entire organization um, to every single participant in the organization. So in, in the past models, we have equity um, that can be distributed to very specific people or, or shares that can be bought, um, but they don't really reflect the ownership and contribution of an organization. So um, what, what DeepWork, for example, is doing with... Um, kind of issuing a, a token for every time someone completes paid work is that each of the roles within the organization has a very particular uh, weight in their organization. And if you complete a project within that role, then you receive a very specific amount of tokens um, that is relative to the importance of that role to the organization. And that means that the more crucial decisions you make, the more you can kind of participate in decision-making with a heavier weight uh, of your token holdings. So uh, our token is a pure governance token, uh, which means you can use it on snapshot to confirm or to veto, uh, in particular to veto projects uh, or proposals. Um, and uh, we also use it in order to 
issue kind of a share of the uh, calculate how much we can share uh, profit uh, from the profits of particular projects or like at the end of the month uh, to the individuals in the um, in the community. So uh, I mean, you don't necessarily need a token for that. You can just uh, put it on a spreadsheet um, and then say like, um, this is how many, how much money that people have earned in these particular roles. And then let's like give send them some um, money from the profits that we've earned. Um, and, and so that mechanism, this co-ownership, at least this is how we're defining it, but there's many, many other ways to define ownership um, that are that go beyond this model. Um, that basically ties people together for the long term. Um, and I think um, it's also like maybe another way to, or like another mental model for, for these concepts, especially token uh, or financial systems, is not that it encourages or motivates or uh, or incentivizes people to do stuff, um, but see it as if it like it visualizes what's already there. So um, as as a designer or as a financial director or as a um, as a as a founder or a creator of an organization, your goal is is not to again not to manipulate behaviors and create incentive models, but it's understanding what's going on and visualizing that with numbers. So uh, if someone is has a high responsibility in your organization, their token holdings should long-term reflect their the weight of their influence. Um, and, 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 and that's kind of, you know, that's what the ownership is, is about. So you can actually see that on people's token holdings. Like I own X tokens. Well, I also make the most decisions and these decisions have proven to be useful. Uh, whereas someone else might not have a lot of tokens um, because they just don't contribute that much, but it's also okay because they still have the opportunity to to do more. This the there's a beautiful point that you mentioned that kind of fills a gap for me, and that is uh, the sort of reputation attestations that could be issued uh, by a certain organization if uh, done with that sort of value has the potential to replace legal contracts. The sort of certainty uh, a legal contract can give you is now replaced by the value of the reputation attestation itself. And that, uh, when combined with ownership tokens, goes a long way. I'm stealing this idea from my article, this conversation never happened. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> well, it's all right. yeah. And uh, just getting into, uh, you know, more aspects of uh, organizational design, you know, uh, how do you, uh, a key aspect of um, what makes a decentralization or, or a decentralized organization work is the ability to kind of have proper transparency and communicate that accordingly. You know, sometimes a lot of DAOs fail to communicate that. Maybe they have the right intentions for uh, transparency, but the communication just doesn't follow through. Uh, for someone who kind of handles the sort of design, what are your uh, what is your advice for kind of uh, instituting that transparency and uh, communication for teams? Yeah, well, I would say that also look at transparency as a tool, not necessarily as a uh, as a panacea for for everything. So transparency is useful when you want to prove to someone, for example, that you have done very specific work. So showing off uh, some previous work that you've done. Um, it's helpful because it, it gives another person the understanding of what your capabilities are. So show them like, you know, your portfolio, your case studies. It's much more uh, relevant than uh, uh, writing a CV about yourself. Um, so sharing a lot of, um, like sharing that information is, is important to be transparent because if it's not transparent, then, well, to be honest, yours just won't get hired or, you know, it contradicts with the idea of truth. You just like someone asks you, Hey, what, what can you do? And you're just like, I don't know, maybe hire me first. That's not, gonna, uh, that's not really truthful. Um, or at least that's not helpful. So, um, transparency is, is a tool that helps, uh, make that connection to prove to someone what your capabilities are. Um, the other, um, important um, or like helpful um, area um, where you can apply transparency is when you want to onboard new people. So you're onboarding new people, new contributors uh, online. You have no idea about what their skills are. You don't know what they will, uh, what they'll be able to do, but you also like, you don't want to repeat yourself all the time. So I think 
anytime you have a sense that you're repeating yourself, um, that is material that deserves to be written down and or somehow like, you know, solidify it. And if someone else already said it, well, then reference to that particular thing uh, online. And so um, as you do these things, as you kind of create projects and run projects and you understand that there's some stuff that happens on a recurring basis, that if you were to have to explain to someone you, what you're doing there, um, that basically requires um, transparency and opening up the processes. And that's the point where you should be writing down your exact process of, of work so that other people can see it. Of course, there are cases where it's not useful to be transparent when you, for example, work for a client that you don't want to disclose to another client because there might be some competitive um, reasons or it might actually put you into uh, like your your life into danger. Um, so in, in these cases, it's, it's, it's very important to keep transparency as like also kind of a spectrum um, where some some things you might want to hide away from very particular people that you don't trust, for example. Um, I don't think that's ever going to disappear. And that's also like one of the areas that the Polygon is uh, quite interesting or like they're they're working on that. Um, um, so because there's, there's, a, there's a lot that can be done with zero knowledge uh, tools. And I think we'll see more and more of that come, come up. Um, but uh, yeah, that's essentially kind of my take on, on transparency and, and why it's important or why why not. No, I kind of feel that uh, it makes sense, you know, whatever has to be any sort of key processes that kind of happens in work, you have to kind of document that for any other contributor to come in. A lot of the DAOs, what happens is that uh, these key processes just don't get documented and uh, contributors have to kind of search through the discords and uh, it just leads to a lot of chaos. In that sense, it makes total sense to kind of follow the tips that you've given them. And... Mm -hmm. uh, Coming back to a, a final question here, you know, you've uh, as a, a design studio, you know, you've kind of been in the space for quite some time, and uh, now you've seen a lot of service DAOs that are coming up in the spaces: WGMI DAOs for CM-related services, as Vector DAO for design-related services, Llama DAO for treasury management, and further down the road, uh, you will see a lot of these. Um, service does kind of pop up in the picture. Uh, what are your tips to kind of ensure that uh, they can kind of stay sustainable during these waves of uh, bull and bear markets and uh, how can they kind of uh, sustain themselves through that? What, what has worked for Deepak Studios that way? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, what, what I mentioned earlier, just um, keep, high, keep highly frequent feedback loops among each other as a, as a community. So tell what you think to people, uh, how they can improve, what are mistakes that they could be making, um, discuss them, be honest, be, be open about them, uh, receive feedback. So when someone tells you that that work was not sufficient, it doesn't mean that you're fired because you're still alive, your life is still there. And all that is, is a valuable bit of information that will help you not do that mistake again. Um, but also do that on, on an organizational level. So have retrospectives very frequently, two to four, uh, uh, sorry, uh, once or twice a month. Um, make sure you keep aligned on what you're doing and why you're doing these things. Uh, focus on the business model. So don't go too far into building stuff because it's cool. Um, because for the most part, as, as what I'm seeing is that the revenue streams are usually funded, so VC-based or, uh, or from grants. And that is not a sustainable business model. Like nobody will ever give you money forever just for building cool stuff that you think is cool. So switch to the model of generating as much value as possible to as many people as possible. Um, and focus on that because as long as you can create value, you're gonna be alive and you're gonna be able to pay your bills and you can be able to pay for development of cool things. Um, yeah, that's, I would, I mean, there's also a million other things, but I think these people should focus first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with that, brilliant. With that, we come to a close. I think uh, this uh, this episode, you know, you have a lot of insights that are coming from someone who's been in the game for so long and has uh, done a phenomenal job, kind of uh, running his team to a fabulous extent. Andre, uh, thank you so much for coming in and do doing this episode with us. It's been a pleasure, kind of having your insights over here. 
where can people follow you, uh, Deepwork Studios, or any other initiative that you really care about? Um, yeah, I mean, I have an uh, I have a Twitter. Uh, it's Kishiman, K-I-S-C-H-I-M-A-N. Um, and there is Deepwork underscore studio on Twitter. Um, we're not posting that regularly. And then there's a newsletter that I'm currently writing. It's more of an organizational update uh, of what's going on. I, I do it bi-weekly and post the content and decisions we made in the representative or like the council. Um, and I think these these um, are probably the most important ones. I also have an Instagram, but uh, I, I don't really use that that much.